0: Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Welcome to church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's my great privilege to greet you today and welcome you to church. If this is one of your first times joining us, we want to express a very special welcome to you And if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church, for those of you that are here in person, you can uh, take one of those communication cards that can be found on the seat back in front of you, and if you have some time, fill that out, and come find me at the Welcome Center afterwards. We have a free gift for you just for visiting with us today. For those of you joining us online, you can go to our website at vlchurch.com. There is a banner on our website that says, Are You New Here?, Click on that banner and complete the form, and we'll connect with you sometime soon. Well, hey, this week, as you know, just a few days ago, we celebrated Veterans Day on Friday, November 11th. And as a church, we think it's appropriate to express our gratitude to all those in our congregation who have served in our nation's military. Uh, Your service enables us to enjoy the freedoms that we have to gather together like this and worship our living God. And so as such, we want to draw your attention to a video uh, that will honor those who have served. Greg, are you ready with our video? Take a look.
1: you want and the skills you learn for the months of training and the years of service. Because while we were living in peace and freedom, you were fighting for it. Thank you is not enough. We can't repay you, but we will promise to remember. You are the reason we can save the land of the free and the home of the brave. You are the heroes among us. You are not forgotten. You. We remember your courage, we honor your sacrifice, and we thank you
0: today. Well, thank you just isn't good enough, but in an effort to honor those within our congregation who have served uh, the United States of America, if I could ask you to please stand, if you are a veteran of one of our armed forces, can you please stand right now? we would like to honor you. We have a few within our congregation. Thank you for your service to our country. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You know, the Bible says greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And so uh, we want to say thank you for laying down the comforts of your life in service to the freedom uh, we enjoy here in our country. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I know my father is watching today. He's a veteran as well. Thank you, Dad, for your service also. I have one more announcement this morning. I want to remind you about our Pursue Night uh, that's coming up this Friday night, November 18th. Our subtitle is To Seek the Lord. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in prayer together. We will worship together, but we're going to spend a lot of intentional time seeking the Lord with one another. And the reason we do this is because Jesus modeled this for us. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says Jesus often withdrew to certain places, to certain lonely places, and he would pray. And so we want to take some intentional time to pray unto God, to seek the Lord together. Uh, it's my impression, I know in my life, I'm always seeking God for something, for some kind of clarity, for some kind of answer. Anybody feel that way right now? You're seeking God for some kind of direction, clarity, guidance, encouragement. Uh, If that's you, I encourage you to join us this Friday night for our next Pursue Night. We've had, I don't know, three or four of these over the course of the year of 2022, and they have been absolutely fantastic. And so this Friday night, we'll gather in this place in the North Sanctuary at 6.30 p.m., And as is our custom, there will be food and fellowship to follow. We're going to have a big pizza party afterwards and play some games. And if the weather is nice, uh, I might gather my kickball team and apply a kickball beatdown to Pastor Matt's kickball team. But I don't know. The weather's not looking very good, so we'll have to be nice. But nonetheless, I hope that you'll join us on Friday night for our next Pursue Night at 6.30 p.m. Well, that's all I have in the way of announcements this morning. If you've come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, you likely know what to do and how to do it. Uh, you can text to give, or you can give online, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord today. i can ask you to stand this morning, and as we prepare our hearts, let's bow for a word of prayer together. Father God, we come this morning to declare that you are our God. We come to exalt you and praise your name because in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. May you continue to do those things this morning as we gather to worship you. In Jesus' name,
2: amen. We can put our hands together this morning and get ready to invite him in. I promise you, if you open your mouth and praise him today, he will be in this place. That's what we're here to do is see him in this place.
3: Let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it arise. we are and we claim your victory. So let it rise. Let praise arise. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. All creation Christ God, we praise you. Pray to you. Song's all about inviting his presence in this place as we pray.
2: presence in. It's saying that there's so many things that happen when we pray, but ultimately when we pray, our desire is that God would show up. We don't always know what we need him to do. We don't always know what to ask, but when we pray, we're inviting a God to show up who does know all those things. That same God showed up 2,000 years ago when Jesus was resurrected from the grave. There was life and power for all mankind when Christ rose from that grave. And today the Bible says that same resurrection power lives in you and me. It's victory. It's victory for you and me. What kind of resurrection do you need in your life this morning? Is it a rebirth of faith in God himself? Do you just need to see his presence? Is it a healing? Is it grasping to eternal life which God has given through his son Jesus? Where is something dead in your life that needs to come to life? Because his name is victory. And he can bring that resurrection about in you this morning. I encourage you as we sing this next song to declare praise unto him who, as we pray, can take on everything that we need, even if we don't know it. Let's worship him.
3: The fear that held us now gives way To Him who is our peace His final breath upon the cross Is now alive in me Your name, Your name I come alive to declare Your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. By Your Spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The
4: Lord Jesus, for any gathered here who are living in a spirit of defeat today, I pray that you would be their glory and the lifter of their head. For Lord, we are not a people marked by defeat and despair. We are marked by our Savior who has overcome the greatest enemies of the human soul. Lord, help us to catch and capture just what victorious living means like. And by your spirit, I pray that you would encourage our hearts today that we are not defeated because our Lord Jesus is alive and he is ever making intercession for the saints at the right hand of the Father. So Lord Jesus, we cast our cares and our burdens to you today and we ask you to remind us that it is not over. We are not defeated. The story has not yet been written, the end has not yet come, for Lord Jesus, you rule and you reign, so speak to every matter, speak to every spirit, bring about your will and your way, that your kingdom might shine forth in each one of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen, God bless you, you may be seated. At this time, young disciples, you may be dismissed to head on down the hall. Uh, Miss Jody is taking a well-deserved weekend off, and uh, your kiddos are heading down the hall with Micah, who is her assistant in first service every week, and he's also one of the leaders of our young adult ministry, and so they are going to have a marvelous time down the hall this morning, and you are going to continue to have a marvelous time here, I hope. So uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn in them to Matthew chapter 16. As many of you know from your email thread this week, we're in a time of a bit of transition as a church. I'll speak to that at the end today after our final prayer. But I'm looking forward to week 12. This is week 12 that we've spent in the book of Matthew. As we talk about shining our light into the world, for those of you who are newer in this series with us, what we are doing is slowing down and kind of stopping in every passage in Matthew that has import as it relates to Christ's identity and who he is being disseminated, his fame and his glory and his salvation being sent out into the world. And so we're going to spend our third week here in Matthew 16. I would call this the identity chapter of Jesus, and it's an important one, and that's why we're hanging out here for a third time here this morning. Friday, I was helping my son put together a portfolio about Egypt it was about architecture, it was about religion, it was about daily life of ancient Egypt for his social studies class, and I was reminded of the worst project that I ever did in social studies. In fact, it was a, it was a project that went so south that I ended up with a detention and in tears. True story. I, it, it was bad. It was sixth grade social studies class, and I was supposed to draw Europe. That was my assignment, draw Europe. By hand. Now look at these fingers. Do these look like the fingers of someone who can draw Europe by hand? It was already a very stressful, stressful thing. So I needed to draw Europe by hand, and then I was supposed to write in all of the countries and the capitals, and after doing that, my job was to color every body of water and color every nation. That was the call. That was the job, that's what I was told that I needed to do. It was explicit, you gotta write the capitals, you gotta write the country, you gotta color every bottle of, body of water, bottle of water, body of water, and you got to color every country. So I eventually drew out this whole map on this huge poster, but I took all my time, you try that Alsace-Lorraine region of France and Germany, try it sometime by freehand. and I got everything right as I needed it, and I began to color, and then I realized I had a problem. I had an existential problem. The problem was that I only had eight markers in my Crayola marker pack. And I thought, there is not enough variety in this, in this drawing. If I use the blue for the bodies of water, I've got nothing left. i, I got way too many purples, way too many greens, m- way too many reds. I've got to do something different. You know what I'm going to do? Scandinavia, all, all the nations are smooshed together up there. I'm going to leave Sweden white, because white's a color. It's not going to color it. Just leave it. And therefore, it'll have a little bit of variation between you know, Finland and, 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 and Norway up there. And, and that, that, that's good. that looks good. That looks real good. Never mind the fact, on the instruction sheet, it said, color every country. If there could have been a year else, there would have been a year else. But I didn't. I left Sweden white, blank. Sweden, I don't even know what the cap. anybody in the capital of Sweden? Anybody Thank you, yeah. <laughs> My first service crowd, they're smart. Anyhow, not to say that second service isn't, don't get pride now. Anyhow, I brought that project in, I submitted it, put it on the teacher's desk, and her face went a shade of red that I wish I had colored because the instructions were clear. She says, Matthew, you have detention today. You'll be talking to me right after school. And I thought, what did I do? So after school, she got right in my face. She got this close, and she raised her voice. And she—and I can't remember what she said, but what she told me was, I had told you to color every country. Why do you think you know better than the instructions? And it was this close, and I hate being yelled at. And here came the tears. I was like, I don't need to get yelled at. This is awful. This is awful. I, I don't need to get yelled at. And so I just sat back and I found a color. And Believe me, I colored Sweden during detention. But there was a problem. She had made it really, really clear what I needed to do. I was earnestly thinking that I was doing righteousness. We needed some variation. That white was going to be gray. And I, I, I was earnest, not trying to be lazy, not trying to not follow instructions. I thought I knew better. And so I did what I thought was better. Except it wasn't better, because she was the teacher, and I was the student, and I needed to follow instructions. Well, we're going to see something here that is one of the most shocking exchanges in all of Scripture. It is, in fact, the sternest rebuke that we see of Jesus to any of his disciples. Now, he, he, he gives some stern rebukes to the Pharisees. You know, there's ones that really, really scare you and make, make you nervous, all right? But, but this is one that he gives to one of his closest followers, and it's harsh. You don't even believe it comes out of, the, out of the mouth of Jesus because of how harsh it is. And, and, uh, and this rebuke is important to us today because it, it factors into what I just told you about Sweden. You can think yourself both righteous and in earnest and be in direct opposition to God. You can think you have the right motives. You can think you're righteous. And you can be in direct opposition to God. So I've been told by a book I've been reading recently that, that my uh, sermon ought to reflect the tone of the Scripture. Well, the tone of the Scripture is a rebuke. So I'm going to yell at you for the next 27 minutes. No, I'm kidding. not going to do that. But I'm not going to mince words today either. This is a rebuke from, from Scripture today, and I believe many of us need to hear it. And so I won't be harsh. I won't be mean. Can't do it. Middle child. Won't do it. Right? but I think we need to understand that this is a rebuke today and maybe we should just prepare our hearts to see if Jesus has something to speak to us where we think we're earnest and we think we're righteous but we're actually in opposition to him. Are you in Matthew 16? Let's read the rest of the story of Matthew 16. If you remember, we are just fresh off of Peter saying, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Savior. You are the Son of the living God. And and Jesus is very pleased with him You're a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? As we mentioned, Jesus has just been identified as the Messiah, and the Messiah's job is to fix things. Bet you haven't heard that. That's some deep theology. Write that in your doctrine book. The Messiah's job was to fix things. That was the expectation of the Jewish people, that someone would come in the line of their greatest King David and fix it all. And Jesus, now that he has displayed his identity through the feeding of the 5,000, and the feeding of the 4,000, saying, I am the one who is sufficient to feed the nation of Israel. I am the one who is sufficient to feed the Gentiles. And then to go on to say, Who do men say that I am? He has, he has declared, I am sufficient to be the Savior. And then he goes to his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And nobody's willing to say it. Peter stands up, I'm going to say You are the Messiah. You are the great fixer of history. You're the Savior. You're the son of the living God. I ascribe divinity to you. And Jesus says, good. They picked up what I was putting down. They they got it. They understood finally after the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, and we didn't do this story, but the walking on water, I am he. I am he. So then he can turn and say, now this is what he is going to do. I am going to go bear the weight of human sin by suffering and being killed and I am then going to defeat death, the greatest of your enemies. In fact, it says Jesus began to show them. Show them. So, so what this means is, is that it's a, it's a progressive thing because they, they, they weren't getting it. In fact, if you read the book of Luke, you see him say it over and over and over again because he, they are not getting it. He's saying, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and have to suffer and die. That's what the Messiah needs to do. Because ultimately, my goal is to defeat sin and death. That's your biggest enemy, and I'm going to rise again. Where does Peter get stuck? On the death thing. If he, if he had been able to hear and understand rise again, he might not have been so upset. But I was just thinking about this as we were singing that last song. We as Christians can oftentimes get stuck in, de- in defeat mode. We can get stuck in that place where we're just like, well, I'm just coping with Jesus and I'm in the middle of defeat, and I'm not going to rise from the ashes of defeat. No phoenix here. I'm just going to stay right where I'm at, and I'm just going to help G- have Jesus be my holy coping mechanism. But, but they're not getting the rise again part. They're certainly not understanding that this is a victory, not a defeat. They're seeing their Messiah as something that cannot be doing what the Messiah does. Because this isn't what the Messiah does is what we're going to come to. This is not what the Savior does, and so man is going to rebuke God. Peter's going to pull Jesus aside and rebuke the Messiah, the one he's been waiting for his whole life, who he has just ascribed divinity to, and says, you know what? I need to talk to you. Jesus, you are out of line. Thank you. Siri was here from the front row. She's affirming my sermon. Nobody else is amen. Thank you, Siri. So, Jesus has just been ascribed this divinity, and and Peter says, but that's not what you're supposed to do. That's not the picture of you I have in my head. Isn't that the issue? Where his mind's at? Jesus, that's not the picture of you I have in my head. I have a fully formed picture of Messiah, and you going to Jerusalem and dying? That is not the picture I have in my head of my Savior. So... I'm going to get so worked up that I'm going to rebuke my master. You're wrong. Far be it from you, Lord. No. I'm telling you, no. We're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. That's not going to happen to you ever. So what do you think about that? God's son. And at this moment... Jesus speaks some of the sternest words of scripture. See, the very words that he speaks don't match the picture of Jesus we have in our head, right? The very words he speaks are so harsh that we're like, well, that can't be Jesus. Jesus is all love. He looks at his good friend who has left his home to follow him, somebody who has just ascribed to him his title and recognized his divinity, and what does he say? Get behind me, Satan! Now, I have called my enemies some names in my life. I don't know that I've ever called somebody Satan. Jesus is calling his friend that. There must have been such a problem with what Peter did that Jesus has to rebuke him in the harshest terms possible. Right? Think about this for just a minute. Can anybody remember the harsh words that Jesus had for Peter? after Peter had denied knowing him three times? Do you remember the harsh words? There weren't any. The only rebuke Peter got that we can see in Scripture is, Peter, feed my sheep. Like, I still love you, man. I'm not done with you yet. He rebukes him later on for saying, what's going to happen to John? And if you remember this sermon from months ago, Jesus says, what's that to you? Follow me. Because you're not going to be able to follow me if you're focused on somebody else. But that's a different sermon for a different day. This is the harshest rebuke of any one of Jesus' servants, his believers in all of Scripture. Get behind me, Satan. But it was accurate. Jesus was nothing if not accurate. Because Satan, his, his main job, what he does, is try to bring opposition and destruction to the plan of God. He is the kamikaze pilot of eternity, knowing he will lose, but so invested in what he believes to be his just cause that he will will take as many down with him as he can. His, His desire is to thwart the death and resurrection of Jesus at all costs. that's That's what he needs to do. In fact, that's what he was doing in the temptation in the wilderness. He was trying to get Jesus off mission. And what's Peter doing? He's standing in the place of Satan, saying, you need to get off mission. This mission that you're telling us about, this is not okay. Get off mission. But the sternness has to match the mission Because what Jesus is telling them is the hardest and most important thing that he will ever do. Harder than turning water into wine. Harder than turning five loaves and two fish into dinner for 5,000. Harder than walking on water. This is the hard one. I have to go and suffer and die to save people. Don't get in my way. Get out of my face, Peter. Or get out of my face, Satan. You're in opposition to the plan of God. And this plan of God is the one that matters most. Salvation. This is the plan that brings about the saving of humanity. So get out of my way, Satan. You. He looks at Peter and says, You are a hindrance to me. How quick... Would, would, would you be offended if, if one of your brothers and sisters in Christ looked at you and said, I know you're in earnest and you think you're righteous, but you are actually hindering the kingdom of God? You'd be like... Right? This is what Jesus is saying to Peter. You are hinder, trying to hinder... The plan of God, get away from me. This is hard. This is hard what I'm about to do. I don't want to die. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be mocked, spit upon, ridiculed. I don't want to to be betrayed. But that's what I'm going to do to bear the weight of human sin so you all can be saved. So get out of my way. Get out of my way. Peter was obtuse to the most important thing. Siri, stop it. If you're in the back row, you're like, what is he talking about? Somebody's watch is talking to me right in the middle of my sermon. Anyhow, this is, this is important, that he is obtuse to the plan of God, that, 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 that he doesn't realize that this is the most important thing, salvation. He's got other things higher on his priority list. Your thoughts are the thoughts of man, not the thoughts of God. And here's the first point I want to make to you today from this very concept You can earnestly believe in Jesus Christ and be a hindrance to the cause of Christ. If Peter can, so could we. And that's where we need to find ourselves in this sermon this morning. Is there a way in which our minds have been so focused on our version of Jesus and our version of Christianity and our version of church, making it so much about our inclinations and our desires that were actually hindering the cause of Christ. Peter was in direct opposition to Jesus while he thought he was doing righteously. Which means if we do not search our hearts to make sure that we are in the will and the way of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we might be directly in the way of the cause of salvation and Jesus doesn't stand for that Jesus doesn't stand for that I understand that each one of us looks at life looks at Christ looks at Christianity and looks at the church through our own lens we've all had different experiences we've all listened to different pastors and preachers We've all been in different Bible studies. We've all read different books. We come from a vast array of different experiences. But the one thing that ought to unite us and be put at the very forefront of our minds in order for us to live righteously is the salvation of souls. Because it is the one thing Jesus will not suffer his disciples to be obtuse about. They can be obtuse about a lot. They can be dull about a ton, read the Gospels. But you cannot be in a place where you are obtuse or dull to the ultimate plan of Christ, which is to save souls. And the way to avoid this is to certainly, taking our words directly from the scripture, make sure that our thoughts are on the things of God and not on the things of man that's that's the call that's the call if we were forced not going to do this just hear me not going to do this right here right now if we were forced to go into our prayer closet isn't that christianese go into your prayer closet it's from matthew 6 right if we were forced And and we said, Holy Spirit, speak to me today. Show me all of the ways in which my thoughts are on the things of man. And then have me write them down. I believe with all of my heart, our hands would get sore. It's that constant need of recalibration, our hands would get sore. If we really ask that question of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, tell me where? Where have I created a Jesus, a Christianity, or a church in my own image? Because that's what Peter was doing. The Messiah ought not do what you say the Messiah is going to do, Messiah. He was in earnest, and he thought he was righteous. I know that there are trends within Christianity today that are the things of man, and I'm very concerned about them. I believe because of the advent of, of so much anxiety and depression and mental illness within our country, things that I don't say anybody ought to be in trouble for, it just is what it is. It's, it's, it's a, a burden of our times. I'm not gonna try to tell you why all those things happen, I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong if you battle anxiety or fear or depression or or any kind of, of mental disorder, but I feel like as Christians in 21st century America, we have made Christ the great coping mechanism of the cosmos instead of the one who's bringing salvation to the world. And you say, how do you know that? It's not because of my experiences with with you. I have to be honest. I I have been very honest from the pulpit. I battled anxiety in my own life and, and sought help for that. What I mean to say is if you listen to Christian radio, there is a vast majority of songs that speak to the issue of, I'm having an awful time, but thank God I have Jesus and they forget victory, and they leave us in this place where we're away from God, and then we get down, and then we get closer to God, and we get away from God, and then we get down, and then we get closer to God. And, and, and those things are all true. We are away from God, we'll get down, and we need to get closer to God, but, but I'm concerned about that mentality being a hindrance to salvation, because that mentality can be very inward-focused, and life can become all about me and my struggles we're no longer worried about the salvation of souls. I, I worry that Christians today can suffer the same issues that Christians or Jews of the first century can suffer. We can be pious but not interested in souls. We can say our prayers and sing our worship choruses. We can fast and we can listen to the voice of God. We can join in and serving our church and loving other people. But the one thing that Jesus won't suffer is for us to be obtuse about the most important thing. He doesn't have any time for that. He died to save souls. The church should be giving their lives to save souls. These are not my words, they're the words of Christ. From Matthew 16, he says that we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Which means that you can believe in Jesus without being a follower of Jesus. Because Peter believed, but he wasn't ready to follow. So he turns to all of his disciples, and he assumes the very same thing of them. If you would come after me, You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's the call of Jesus to give up your life, your plans, your pursuits, and your aims for the same reason he gave up his plans, his priorities, and his pursuits for ours both in an earthly sense and in some ways in the eternal sense. He looks at his disciples and say, if your main goal is self-preservation for the things of man, you're going to lose your soul. Believers who don't follow just might lose their soul. This is what Jesus is saying. You say, Pastor Matt, that's so harsh. Why would you say that? I didn't. Jesus did. That's so scary. Why would you bring that up, the Bible? That is scary. Now, I know there's a lot of Christian preachers today. They're the ones that preach for a lot longer than I do and and are certainly smarter than I am, and they will say to great effect that they have great fear that many Christians in America think that they are Christians and they are not at all. And many of them are going to lose their soul in eternity to a place where God is not. I don't need to operate in the shock and awe of those statements. I don't need to grab your attention through fear. But I will read to you the words of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall the man give in exchange for his soul? He's concerned. He's concerned about people who believe in him but do not follow him. He's concerned about people who want to wrap the Messiah around their life rather than wrapping their life around the Messiah. Jesus fits in the pocket in which I place him. And I pull him out when I need him. When I need to feel pious, when I need to feel strength, when I need to feel like, oh, my quiet time's in a good place, when I need to get my worship on. That's a 21st century phrase. I don't use it. I think it's weird. But anyhow, I'm going to pull that out, right? I need to feel the presence of the Lord again. Whatever we need, whatever we need, whatever we need, whatever we need pastor I was raised under used to call Jesus the prayer genie. Christians would rub the lamp whenever they had a wish to make. I need the presence of God. I need provision. I need to worship. I know that it's right. Oh, the word of God, I need to be in that today so I can get fed. I need the pastor's preaching to be deeper, more entertaining. <laughs> I don't like what he said. Go back in the bottle. Anyhow... It's what we do, it's human nature to look at Jesus and say, fit in to the pocket I place you in and ignore his words. Who is it that bears fruit for Christ? Do you remember? The good soil. What's the the nature of the good soil? We've learned this in this series. What, What did Peter not do that we can do differently? Peter didn't seek to understand He didn't seek to understand. When the claim of Jesus is made upon the Christian, the follower of Christ, where he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, do you seek to compartmentalize that very statement as quickly as you can? Well, what it means is, or do you stop and slow down and say, he just asked me to take up the implement of my death what would that mean in real life? Or do we move past as quickly as we can so that the claim can have no hold on us? Whatever Jesus was saying about, I'm going to have to suffer, I'm going to have to die, I'm going to have to, have to go to Jerusalem, and, and, and these things are going to happen to me, whatever had happened, Peter didn't seek to understand. That does not fit in the pocket in which I place the, the Lord, and therefore I have to rebuke it. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me to create a Jesus in my own image. But the thing that Jesus, I'm going to go back to the main idea here, the thing that Jesus rebukes with all sternness is anyone or anything that would get in the way of the salvation of souls. And can it be if Christians do not deny themselves and lose their life for Christ They're standing in opposition to the salvation of souls. Because he's turning to his disciples in response to this back and forth with Peter. And he's saying, if you make your Christianity, if you you make my mission about anything other than the main thing, you're standing in my way. And I don't want to be in the way of the cause of Christ because there's a greater promise here. And the greater promise is simpler than, than anything, followers find everything. He who will lose his life for my sake, he'll find what he's looking for. Because it's why you were put on the planet. All of the little stuff, all of the things, all the activities, all the, all, all the junk that we take in and participate in, that we wrap our lives around, It has very little oftentimes to do with the cause of Christ. But if we would consider with all our hearts losing ourselves in the gospel, trying to understand with all our heart the depth of what Jesus has done for humanity. His promise is that we find everything that we're looking for. Bono had it right. He still hadn't found what he was looking for. And I, I think the problem is, is that Christians, when they come to Christ, often think that they have found what they're looking for. And I would agree. You found what you're looking for in part. What you're really looking for is the life that He promised. The life that He promised. And there's nothing so invigorating, nothing so life-affirming, nothing so marvelous as salvation of souls. This week I got a call. Somebody said, I need you to come pray with one of my relatives. They're having a rough time. And so I went to pray for this person. And as I walked in, I says, well, well, we're, what's the story? You know, I don't really know this person. What's the story? And I heard the story. And I realized why I was there. It wasn't to read the appropriate psalm. It wasn't to sing the appropriate song. It wasn't to bless the people that invited me. But somebody's eternal salvation was held in the balance. And somebody needed to talk about the Lord Jesus and invite that person to confess and believe on his name. And it was interesting. On the drive over to the house, I didn't think anything about that. I just thought, I don't know this person very well. What am I going to say? And, and, and how am I going to execute the duties of the pastorate well? How am I going to bless the caregivers? But as I ask the question, the Lord says, do not be dull to the most important thing. And I thought, just don't call me Satan. Yeah. Do not be dull to the most important thing. Someone's nearing the end and you know the truth of the gospel. Go proclaim it and see if they'll respond to it. As I told this person about Jesus over and over and over again, he said, I agree. I agree. I agree. And I thought, I cannot think of anything in the world that's better than that. Someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ can't think of one thing. Why am I so dull and obtuse to that so often? Prosecute your duties as a pastor. Police. Salvation. That's what this whole thing's about. That's what this whole thing's about. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, are any of us like Peter? Are we dull to the main thing? Are any of us so wrapped up in so many pursuits, none of them evil? Necessarily, none of them. Some maybe some are. Maybe some are. Maybe some are sinful. But we've forgotten the main thing. Doesn't matter how many shine your light sermons come forth, how many emojis go up on the wall, how many songs about salvation are sung. We're just dull to why you came to earth. The angel said to Joseph. He will save his people from their sins. He will take care of the biggest problem that they have for the wages of sin is death. Oh, Lord Jesus, we are the light of the world. Are any of us obtuse to that today? We're just dull to it. Oh, Lord, may we repent in this place today. Oh, Lord, change our hearts. Perhaps you're here and you've been alive to a lot of things, but you've been dull and dead when it comes to the main thing. If that's you today, I just want you to pray your prayer unto the Lord and say, Lord, wake me up. Point me in the right direction. Give me understanding of what you have me to do in this world. Help help me not to live my entire life with my plans and purposes. Help me, Lord. There's salvation in you. Help me not to be a hindrance to Christ by just being a Christian, but not being a follower. Pray your own prayer today if that's you. Oh, Lord Jesus, may we see you for who you say you are. And may we be in alignment with what you have done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, I hope it wasn't too harsh. I didn't call any of you Satan. So we got that going for us but it's an encouraging word from the Lord this morning just to recalibrate, to center on the main thing and make sure we're in a good place. Would you stand with us this morning? As many of you know uh, from your emails this week and talking amongst yourselves, we're in a time of transition with our leadership team here at the church, and uh, we're going to have a celebration tonight uh, with youth and parents and, uh, and uh, youth leaders with Pastor Aaron and Mackenzie. Uh, So that's at 5 o'clock for those of you who have been invested in our youth ministry. But we're really looking forward to what God has in the future. And here at Victory Life, we're really an open book. We don't do anything on the DL. So if you have questions or concerns about uh, the leadership team or anything uh, related, please feel free to talk to Pastor Otto. He's standing back there ready to talk to you. Talk to me. Talk to any of us. and, And we'll give you the story of what's going on and what we see Uh, God doing next. So uh, please never hesitate to ask. That's how we want to do church. We're we're all believers, and we just want to be open about what God's doing. Is that cool? All right, Heavenly Father, I pray, pray that you'd bless your people today. Would you send us forth from this place? And Lord, if some of us have had a rebuke in our spirit today, I pray that you'd lift us up. Give us the next assignment. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't live in defeat, but we'd live in victory. Dismiss us now with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.